Welcome to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas. And we are your hosts for Q Talks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on Q Talks, we are talking to Ollie Phillips, former professional rugby player for England and now a director at PwC, charity ambassador, motivational speaker, and founder of Optimist Performance, which helps businesses build a team culture to succeed. Hi, Ollie. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, the obvious question to ask first is. How do you get started with rugby? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how did I get started? Well, I, I think it was mainly, it was to do with my parents, obviously, in, in the classic. Um, as a four-year-old, I think I was a fairly boisterous kid, and I, I think they just needed some way of, of getting me out of the house. And it was you know, effectively another pseudo way of um, glorified babysitting. They could just pass me on to somebody else and make me their responsibility. So uh, you know, I think as a four-year-old, it was a way of just burning off some excess energy at the beginning. Um, I had two left feet, so I was absolutely useless at football. So I could only, therefore, go and play rugby. Um, so it started for me at a very young age, four down at Hove Mini Rugby Club on the south coast. Um, and it only really sort of, I guess, became a sort of tangible option for, for me to become a professional when I was probably 16, 17. I started to actually sort of think, you know what, this could be something I could do as a job. Um, I was getting scouted. I was getting picked for England under 16s, England under 18s, all of those sorts of things. And I thought, you know what, actually, you know, this could work. And and then when I was 18, that that all became a reality. I, I got offered uh, the opportunity to to sign with uh, Harlequins up in London uh, from their old shop base. So never looked back from there. Great. And as tempting as it is, we're not here to talk about rugby. Um, so maybe you can give us some of your career highlights and then tell us about how you started thinking about a career after rugby. Um, blimey, career highlights. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, obviously a major achievement for me was A, becoming professional. So I, I played for four different clubs. I started at Harlequins in London, then moved up to Newcastle Falcons and played alongside a certain Johnny Wilkinson, then um, I signed for a team in Paris called Stade Francais. So I, was, I lived in Paris for three years and played for them uh, and then finished my career at, at Gloucester. So that was my sort of clubs. My international career was uh, 12 years or 11 and a half years playing for England at a you know, variety of levels, but with the main focus being as uh, England sevens. Uh, I went to three World Cups, two Commonwealth Games um, and was fortunate enough to be captain for England for six and a half years. And then in 2009, I guess it was a very proud day, particularly for, for my mum more than, and myself, but I was voted as the, as the best player in the world in 2009. So, um, that was a you know great, it feels like a lifetime ago, but that, but that was probably my career in a snapshot without going through things we won or didn't win, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, talk, tell us a bit about how you made that transition from sports person to businessman and uh, what prompted it? Well, I mean, what prompted it was injury, to be honest with you. So I um, 
So I went to a uh, Sevens World Cup in Moscow. First time ever they'd sort of staged a, a rugby tournament in, in Russia. And I got injured in that tournament against New Zealand in the, in the World Cup final, actually. And, you know, from there, I, it quickly unfurled that I was going to have to retire from playing. I was 29 at the time. Um, and they said I'd severed the nerve in my calf. So it was a bit of a you know, smack in the mouth moment for me in, in terms of, you know, I had, like most people, I had a plan. I had a, had a sort of vision of things I wanted to do. The plan was for me to go to uh, a Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014 and then go to uh, hopefully be captain for Great Britain at the Rio 2016 Olympics. But uh, that didn't happen because of this injury. I, I severed the nerve in my calf. And that was my sort of rugby career over. Um, and so my my transition at that, well, if I like, my transition wasn't really even on my in my psyche at that point. It was more sort of like, my God, what am I going to do now? Um, and I was fortunate enough that, you know, through captaining England or whatever you, you, and playing for England and playing rugby, you have a relatively decent network of people within within your, um, you know, your black book, if you like. And I got asked by one of those uh, people, uh, which was a guy called Sir Robin Knox Johnson. He was the first person to ever single-handedly sail around the world. Um, he asked me if I would like to become an ambassador for Downing for a, a Downing Street led number ten led uh, legacy project from the 2012 Olympics in London called the Great Campaign, and they were going to take a boat as part of the clip around the world race. And uh, I, they asked whether I would like to be a lead ambassador on board the Great Britain boat, sail around the world as part of this sailing race. And every port that the boat docked into, I would do some activation, ch- championing everything that's great about Britain. So business is great, technology is great, sport is great, adventure is great, whatever. Trying to encourage foreign direct investment back into the UK. So I agreed to do that probably more out of desperation than anything else because you know, I was excited about the prospect of being part of a sailing race and sailing around the world, something I'd never, ever done before in my life, but also probably daunted around the fact that I just didn't really know what next. Um, and when I was on board the boat, the reason why this is relevant for my sort of career transition, the, when I was on board this boat, um, you can either do the whole thing around the world or you can do separate legs. So, you know, you could, Shrey, you could choose to do London to Rio de Janeiro and then you get off and go home. Whereas I, you know, I was going around the world and one of my team members on the boat who was doing just one leg, which was from Cape town to Albany in Australia and um, happened to be a senior partner from PricewaterhouseCooper from PwC. Uh, and when he got off the boat in Albany on the Southwest coast of Australia, he said, look, I've never met anybody that leads a team the way you lead a team you have to come and work for us and i sort of said who's us and he said pwc and i said okay um i bizarrely i applied to you when i was 18 at uh, sorry when i was finishing durham university as a 20 year old or 21 year old got accepted but then pursued a, a career in professional sport so you know why not it'd be great um didn't think anything else of it because i had another seven months left of the clipper race um and then when we docked into London, having done a full sort of circumnavigation of the world, 11, you know, 11 months at sea, 46,000 miles on the water, um, he literally, I hadn't even set foot on dry land. He set foot, uh, he, he stepped onto the boat, gave me a big hug and sort of said, when do you come work for us? So I said, you know what, let's, let's chat. And six months later, I joined. And I joined as a director for PwC, um, 
to work alongside this chap to um, lead part of our digital transformation practice. So that's what I joined to do. And I'll never forget the day before I sort of joined, I rang him up and I said, look, um, just a small bit of detail here. You know, obviously I've, I've got caught up in the excitement of it all and whatever else, but small, tiny bit of detail. Um, I don't know anything about PwC. I don't know anything about tax, which is where I was going to be sitting in terms of like area of the business. And I don't know anything about digital. Um, and he said, don't worry, you'll be perfect. <laughs> so that's how my transition began. Uh, and I'm now, I've been there five years now. And um, my role there now is sort of morphed and evolved. I now lead our relationship directly into government. So uh, everything to do with the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sports, so a department called DCMS within um, within government. So I am our what's what's effectively our lead partner on that account. Um, so I run and manage our team in that area, and uh, and I also lead our sort of some of our global priority accounts that we have. So some of the major sort of private sector companies that we have, particularly within a real estate with a real estate tinge to them. So I, I lead most of that. So there you go. No, that's that's great, Ollie. Um, and what what a transition it has been. Uh, what's also really interesting about you is that, in addition to your PwC career, you also have a, a number of other jobs and engagements at a very high level. So you're a head coach, you're a commentator, you're an investor as well. Which begs the question: How do you balance all these roles? Well, I mean, it depends on the type of individual you are. Like, I am somebody that is motivated and enjoys, you know, variety. Um, I, I, I like, I'm, if you like, naturally curious. So, I, I like to know lots about lots of different things. Um, and so, I think when you're like that, or if, if that is, if that's your bag kind of thing, you, you're you're good at sort of prioritizing your time and um, and making sure that you you, know, you invest. Well, the, the time that you do invest, you're maximizing and optimizing all the time. So, yes, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, PwC is my, my primary place of work. But I, I mean, as you say, I'm head coach for uh, Wales women um, for, for, for in rugby. That is, um, I work with with Sky Sports as a as a commentator, you know, predominantly around rugby because that's obviously my background and, and pedigree. I sit on the investment committee for um, uh, a, an angel fund that we created as part of my exec uh, that came out of me doing my executive MBA up at Cambridge. So some of my cohort, we all sort of sat down and said, look, we've got so much IP here um, that we, we need to come together, collaborate and, and make good use of it. So, um, you know, so we do that and I, I enjoy the, you know, the variety of it, of it all. I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are much more capable and competent and intelligent than me, which I quite enjoy. Um, <laughs> because you know it, it allows me to learn the whole time and 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 i and i like that enjoy that and you know, that's for me the you know variety is a spice of life so so maybe just uh, uh for future founders or, or other people aspiring to also balance multiple roles how can we envision that looking on a on a day-to-day -day basis so presumably your your job at pwc is is a full-time job so the the other roles are on top of that. So do you then do that in the morning or in the evening or during the weekend? How do you structure your your days? Yeah, it's about understanding what's 
uh, being efficient with your time first, first and foremost, I guess, in, in terms of how you structure it. So, you know, and then making sure that the, the time that you allocate to people is is a worthwhile investment of time, and equally they they recognise that too. You know, my time is important to me, and it therefore should be to to others. So I, I wouldn't want to waste theirs, and I don't want them to waste mine. So if if things are not quite where they need to be, you know, making sure that people are aware of that and and equally that they understand what you'd like to see in order for it to, to for the for the conversation to carry on, um, and making sure that equally and vice versa, you're delivering the same value to them. That you know you'd like half an hour of their time, and the reason you'd like that is because you want to go through this, this, and this, and this, um, and this is why you think it's valuable to them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So just being really clear and understanding about. I guess the outcomes you want and why it's a value to everybody involved. Uh, how I manage my time is, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm up relatively early. I mean, I'm up at, you know, half past five, six o'clock most mornings to get my, well, actually to, to do all the exercise that I quite like to do. So then I can leave the rest of my day clear to, to, to manage some of these various different things that I'm doing. And whilst they sound you know, numerous, it's a, it's about, you know, picking your battles as and when you need to do, and surrounding yourself with really, really great, competent people that can uh, that can deliver on certain areas of the you know, of the project or of the team or of the you know of the role. Um, so, commentating, for example, my role is to talk about rugby, but there's people that are amazing at making sure all the sound quality, all of the recordings going on, all of the data and analysis around teams and players and whatever's all done so it all comes together to to make sure that it's you know an excellent production at the end of it all um and it's making sure that you appreciate them recognize them reward them for their endeavors and that they know how much you you value their contribution you've already mentioned the incredible leadership skills that you gained whilst you were um, having your rugby career. Um, I think there are so many things that you can gain from uh, doing sports that then translate into uh, business fields. What are some of the other aspects that you've found um, during your sports career that has helped you um, now in your business career? Um, to be honest with you, I actually think that the best you know, whatever leadership lessons, if you'd like to call them, call them that, for me happened actually after my my sporting career. So uh, the, the things that have been beneficial for me throughout my my time pre and post um, rugby or, and during rugby were, I guess, the you know the the discipline and focus areas of of being very dedicated to a to your tr- your trade. You know, so for example, when I was playing rugby, I, I didn't. We you didn't go out loads. You didn't drink loads. You were focused and centered around it, effectively optimizing and trying to gain every single, every single small percentile uh, difference that you could uh, that would work in your favor. So you know that that was a, I guess, a great habit and a character trait to take forward. But but equally saying that you know most of the amazing and valuable leadership lessons for me came after. When I sailing around the world, uh, I I went and took a load of people up to the North Pole, set Guinness World Record at the North Pole. Um, we did the same on Everest. I took a load of people up Everest. We set two Guinness World Records on Everest. Um, I, I, we took a group of thirty and cycled across the whole of America. You know, that those, if you like, events or expeditions taught me so much more in terms of 
leadership lessons than than captaining England. What I realised, you know, captaining England was I was surrounded by people that were of the same age, same marital status, same sex, same everything. So actually, leading them was a was a pretty straightforward process. Um, and you obviously had the, the golden nugget of ha- having you know playing for England as a as a, as an incentive tool above it. Everybody was obsessed about being a professional rugby player and playing for England. So actually telling them, look, run through that brick wall was a pretty easy conversation. Going into to sailing around the world or going up Everest or whatever else, these were people from different walks of life, different ages, different sex, different marital status, different everything. Even their priorities were different. They didn't care about winning. You know, they wanted to. You know, they were there for lots of different reasons. Um, and so for me, that have definitely evolved my management style, my management technique, and it made me realise that it, in order to achieve the outcomes that I would like. I actually need to spend a lot of time and invest a huge amount of effort into understanding what the people in my team would like and what their goals and aspirations are. And if I really understand that and help them achieve that, they'll help me achieve mine. Well, that's that's absolutely fascinating, Oli. So maybe on the basis of your experiences gained pre, during, post rugby and then as part of your various adventures and, and business dealings, If you were to sit down with a young startup or a team of entrepreneurs keen to start maybe a company, what would be some of your top practical tips for teamwork? Well, so I mean, for teamwork, I would say you know, maintain an open level of dialogue all the time between you. So make sure that there's a, you know, a cracking um, culture within your organization or within your team of of honesty and integrity. So being able to have You know, I guess difficult conversations, so creating a, an air of trust uh, and transparency within the group. You know, expecting people to to take risks and and being cognizant of the fact that you know they may well get it wrong, um, but don't reprimand people for that. You know, understand that, take the learnings from it, and move forward. Um, because you know, great teams are, are those that constantly keep pushing the boundaries and are encouraged to flourish and are encouraged to to try do new things and. And venture into new territories. If you if you try and stranglehold them and, and manipulate them to, to your own way of thinking, you're going to become a, a pretty narrow-minded uh, group pretty quickly. So having that courage and conviction to to trust in each other, and equally at the same time being able to ha- constantly talk to each other and say, "Look, you know that was incredible. Praise them whenever they can." But equally conversely, being confident and capable of turning around to each other and saying look that was a load of rubbish you know what wh- where did you go wrong there why did you you know why did you do that and and then coming together correcting it and making sure that it doesn't happen again and um you've spoken a lot about leadership already um on in the same vein do you have any uh, practical ideas that founders can implement for themselves to be a leader of this team and um you you also mentioned company culture it's uh, it's a word that's often talked about but perhaps you can give some practical ideas for if if a founder i.e the leader of um this startup wants to build a successful company culture what what is it that they can do You know, f- f- you know, leadership comes in so many different shapes and sizes that there isn't you know, a, a one rule fits all. Um, because equally, you know, great leaders don't necessarily make great managers. Great managers don't necessarily make great coaches. So, 
there's so many different components and i think it's just being as you know as a leader in adverted commas you know, I, I guess a, aware of your own you know limitations and your own abilities so you know so i guess the self-awareness piece is, is the major major factor for me that that is a differentiator there the, you know the more cognizant you are of your well, what i like to call superpowers so all the things that you're amazing at and equally all the things that you're not so good at and then making sure that you focus the majority of your time and energy on the things that you're really really good at because that's your x factor that's your that's that's what differentiates you from from the masses and then making sure that you've got the as a leader, you know the courage and conviction to acknowledge what those weaknesses are within your within your skill set or within your personality or whatever else, and plugging those gaps with people that have those as strengths. Um, and sometimes that's quite awkward and uncomfortable because maybe that person isn't, you know, someone that thinks the same way as you or behaves the same way as you. But actually, for your organisation, for your team, and for your culture overall, they're they're a brilliant fit. Now, if you are somebody that is big blue sky thinking all the time and you're an ideas person, you need somebody that is actually interested in the detail, in the delivery. And, you know, they're not a blue sky thinker. They're all about getting stuff done. Now, big blue sky thinkers are not necessarily great or at working all the time with detail people because they want them to think blue sky and detail people are not great at working with blue sky thinkers because they want them to think about detail. Um, but, but the, but the combination is powerful, really, really powerful. And, you know, as always, you know, the, the sum of the parts is greater than actually each individual talent. That for me is, is the sign of a, of a, of a great leader or true leadership when you can actually have the self-awareness to understand your own, uh, limitations and your own, uh, and your own abilities. Another topic, which is perhaps shared by both experiences in sports by also by entrepreneurs doing business is when it gets tough and things don't go your way how do you stay resilient and we were wondering what are some of your recommendations for people who are going through a tough patch and how can you get out of that and how can you stay positive and go forward what are some of your recommendations uh, in that space ollie i mean there's probably nothing more prevalent and relevant than what i imagine lots of people are going through at this present moment in time in a, a you know a covid world you know the, the, we've been totally sort of sideswiped nobody really expected if you did asked everyone six months ago you know do you think there's going to be a, a deadly virus that basically brings the world to a standstill you know, they'd have laughed in your face so you know i think yeah that need for resilience which is such a broad word is so pre prevalent now And I, but I think the, you know, the crucial part for me is, is trust. You know, it comes down to trust in the people around you, trust in the process, trust in, in the vision um, and the purpose as to what you, you know, what, what you originally set out to do, you know, your raison d'etre for your own, you know, personal achievement, your own personal goals, as well as the collective, you know, that you can't fight these battles all on your own. And so you've got to trust in those people around you um, and confine in those people around you so they can so that collectively you can actually help each other achieve the you know the outcome and it is going to result in difficult uncomfortable scenarios uncomfortable conversations because 
ultimately change is happening you know change is happening and when change we're all creatures of habit we all like doing the same the same things over and over again we, we seek we get comfort in the repetition of certain things um so when the status quo gets disrupted people are not comfortable with that and that, that therefore um that therefore brings other areas into question and it's being able to have that consistency of of thought that consistency of message but in terms of behavior that is ultimately you know, going to stand you apart um and so you know I, I don't think resilience is something that you just develop on your own yeah i think it's something that comes through a that you know that communal dependency you know that interdependency of being able to help one another and and recognize when somebody's down when somebody's up uh, and and being able to support each other through through those tough times we used to have a saying when we were with england it used to be a training day on a tuesday and i realized that now how relevant it is whereby we used to have to do some horrible fitness session um take our heart rates to a to a level which we you know like 180 190 keep them there it was you know a, a horrific experience and then they'd ask us to play a game of rugby for five ten minutes something like that and the whole philosophy behind it was that you had to if, if you could get comfortable at playing under those conditions uh, feeling in that way and uh, with those emotions when it actually came to game day you'd be fine because your heart rate would never get near that level so you know our boundaries are being pushed our our sort of emotional capacities are being pushed right now but it's being able to still operate and feel comfortable with all those people around you trusting all of those people around you and the teams around you and building up a rapport with one another that is going to stand everybody in, in great stead for the future so getting comfortable at being uncomfortable is probably the the mantra and message that I that still resonates with me from my England days. There's something that you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on, um, which is around having difficult conversations. In obviously times of stress, um, you might need to have more, di- more difficult conversations with people. So how do you, um, how do you recommend that founders go about having having those conversations with um, either co-founders or uh, early employees in their startup, not necessarily if they um, if they don't think they're a good fit for the company and they need them to leave, but also even small things like they're not, they don't feel like they um, have completed this task very well or um, aspects of the company where they still want them to be involved and they want to actually build a positive relationship with them within the company. I mean, it's it's about having those difficult, awkward conversations, isn't it? And how, how do you manage through that all the time, whether they're big or small? And I think that, again, comes back to um, some of the things we've mentioned previously, which is if you have a – if you have a – if you've created a culture and an organization of transparency, honesty, integrity, interdependency, that people will value – your you know your opinion and 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 the discussion if you can come to somebody perhaps try and look at things maybe through their eyes rather than your own eyes for it would be a starting point so i would try and always approach a difficult conversation for example if i use an england one now if i was going to have to to tell a player or relate to a player that's just been dropped or he's, he's or he's been told that he's not going to play on the weekend now i know the aspirations that he had 
of, of playing on that weekend or being part of the team, I know how disappointed he's going to feel and probably how negative he's going to feel and maybe even slighted he's going to feel because he, he feels ultimately that he merited that, that spot. However, it's still vital for the, for the well-being of the team, for the group that we keep moving forward and that he's actually on board that he feels involved, that he contributes because just because he's not playing on the weekend, he's still vital because his input in some of the practice runs that we do or the training that we do is actually going to maybe differentiate whether we win or lose. Um, so the crucial part there is to, is, to, is to see through things through their eyes, first and foremost. How do they see the world at this present moment in time and try and empathise with that? And then the second part of that would be to try and make sure that they... Uh, that they understood how they are still contributing towards the collective ambitions and goals of the team. So making sure that they still feel valued, they still feel an integral part of what we're doing and, you know, their time will come. It's just not right now. Now, if you're talking around, okay, then, you know, you're at the extreme ends of, you know, you need to fire people, you need to, to sack people. I would still stand by the same mantra of if you, if you can create, an environment whereby you know, they trust what you're saying, you deliver against what you're telling them. I, you've done those steps of, you've tried to see the world through their eyes, you've empathised with their position, you've tried to relate their position to how it can be beneficial to, to, to the general outcome of the overall goal. And then you've turned around to them and said, look, this is honestly where we are as a business. And these are the, these are the honest reasons why you're not getting picked. Is, is fundamental, you know, it's the same sort of conversation. You know, we think at this point in time, we need X, Y, and Z to go forward and to be successful. Unfortunately, at this moment in time, we think you are amazing at A, B, and C, but you're not quite as good at X, Y, and Z as this person. And, and so that's why you're not getting picked at this time. However, like, we still think you're an incredible individual. We still would love you to be part of our, our team. We'd love, we want you to stay involved and have some form of contact. Um, and, you know, and I, and I think if, if you're honest upfront and what you tell them is backed up and supported with truth and integrity, sure. in the, in the short term, they still might be pretty miffed, right? They still might be pretty cheesed off and go away with it. But in the long run, medium to long run, they will really appreciate that. They'll really appreciate it and they'll value it and they'll come in the long in the long term, you'll still have you know, avid fans and supporters of of um of you and of your business and of your team because you you deliver against what you say you're gonna deliver against. I think the reason why people get so angry and so upset with different people is they get told one thing and then they witness something else happen. And and that then builds mistrust, that then builds deceit, and that then then builds anger between people. So it's about delivering on your on what you say you're going to deliver against, and being upfront and honest with people from the beginning, uh, and trying to you know, empathise with their their situation. These are really great lessons, Ollie. Uh, a final question to finish this podcast: You have done many great adventures already, but can you think of any adventure that hasn't been done that you would like to do? <laughs> wow um yeah i mean it, it, look don't get me wrong like all these amazing things that, that i've been very fortunate to be a part of and raise money for charity and everything have been absolutely brilliant uh, i've embarked uh, i mean 
oh yeah, I'm, I've embarked on a challenge on a personal level that is the most long, the probably the the lo- longest uh, standing. Well, it's going to last me for the rest of my life, basically. Is and that is being a dad, you know, being a parent. Um, I've got two young kids. Uh, they're obviously going to be with me for I uh, touch wood, you know, for the rest of my life and until my sort of final breath. And so, you know, my greatest adventure that's coming up is, is that is, is, you know, some of these things that we've spoken around, around teamwork, leadership, resilience, change. Yeah. How do I deliver that every single day for the rest of my life to, to my children so that they not only learn these, the same values, but, but they feel like my message is authentic and that their dad is actually, you know, a genuine person that loves and cares for them. You know, that's a, you know, to to do these, you know, some of those challenges, and to be a leader or, or teamwork during those things when it's over, let, let's say, you know, whatever it is, eleven months, eight days, thirty days, whatever the you know the challenge happens to be, that's actually a lot easier because you know it just requires you to focus your emotional energy and um, time, physical energy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, onto that specific thing for for a finite finite um, amount of time, whereas. For me, you know, being a parent is it, it, it's 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 never ending, if that makes sense. And so, consistency, uh, a consistency of message, without sort of trying to make it seem like I'm approaching parenting as a uh, as a management task, which I'm not. But you know, I think that for me is one of the most exciting and equally one of the probably the hardest challenges going, because yeah, it is delivering on the things that we've spoken about time after time after time after time all the way till till the very end and that is so exciting um but also super challenging so you know from a personal perspective it's that if if you're asking me what do i want to do as my next challenge there's absolutely tons that i want to do i think the next one for me is i'm pro i'm gonna probably try and swim the channel next uh next year so that's probably on the horizon and uh, it'll be coming up to the four-year anniversary for uh, for our Everest expedition, no doubt, quite soon. So I'd probably like to do all all seven of the highest peaks uh, around the world um, to sort of do the, if you like, the um, Mountaineers Grand Grand Slam. Those those two things are probably high up on my bucket list at the moment. Fantastic and very inspirational. Thank you so much, Ollie, for speaking with us today pleasure thanks ever so much for having me on and i look forward to to catching up with some more of the guests and hearing some more cracking content come out from you thanks very much to ollie for joining us on q talks this podcast was produced by carl homer from cambridge tv and we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at q tech who have all been working hard behind the scenes Thank you very much for listening and please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us about your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.